We'll start uh, with you, Dan. Uh, the biggest change, of course, we've seen in the past year is the addition of some brand new buses. Uh, the federal government came through with money to help you update your fleet. Uh, how many buses have, been, have you been able to replace uh, with new ones because of that? We have been able to replace 80 new buses with 80 new buses in the last year. Wow. And uh, how much money came from the government for that? Well, there was uh, two sets of funds. One was existing formula dollars that come into uh, DDOT and SMART and every transit system in the country, and that was about $15 million. Uh, and that was from a variety of different grants. Uh, the second source was a competitive grant called Ladders of Opportunity, uh, and from that, we were able, between state and federal funds, uh, able to get close to $30 million. Uh, and between the two, we were able to get uh, uh, the 80 new buses. What happened to the old ones? Are any of them still they, on the road? or No, the, no, the, the 80 that we replaced mm-hmm. are in the process. Uh, they're they're bas- basically in the back. If uh, anyone's been anywhere near uh, Warren and I-75, we have a back 40, and <laughs> those buses are in the process of being... Um, auctioned off. Uh, the city has an auction uh, once a year, and those will be in the auction. Those buses have seen their better better use. So uh, the, the, it's, it's better to auction them off than to try to repair, get them in working order. Yeah, I mean, basically. that's been a big part of the issue of why we've tried to take them out of service, because the amount of uh, money you put in maintenance to keep them going uh, is significant. And even with that, the, the, the breakdowns are still relatively high. Uh, as a comparison, we would have, oh, probably, in ter- even in terms of tows, probably 15 to 20 tows a week, and now we're lucky if we get one or two, uh, and that's the impact uh, uh, that that's have. So you're spending less money on maintenance, uh, and it's more on preventive maintenance than, than uh, the repairs with the older buses. Now, was this a one-time infusion of uh, federal money? And if so, uh, where would you get the money in the future to buy more new buses so that you can uh, replace old ones? Right. Approximately uh, half of the money was formula dollars, so we'll be able to replace, bl- replace buses in the future as they become age-eligible. Half was competitive, uh, and that's the dollars that... Uh, uh, the mayor uh, so uh, aggressively uh, uh, went after with uh, Vice President Biden and, and President Obama. Uh, and it's a great story. I mean, when uh, when the mayor was first elected, I mean, very first elected, he got a call from the White House and they asked what they could do to help uh, the city out. And he said, I need buses. Uh, and so that's, that, that's the good news story. It took a little while to get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were able to get them. Now, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, if you know, what is your largest source of revenue these days? And uh, what was it, say, 10 years ago? How has the funding model for DDOT changed well, over the, the last decade? The, the largest source of operating dollars um, is uh, basically um, the city and the city subsidy. But that subsidy has gone down from $80 million 10 years ago or $100 million down to about $35 million today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the amount of state dollars, uh, we get uh, 20, uh, approximately 30% of our operating budget from the state, and that's really gone down over the last uh, 10 years. Um, and then Fairbox account for about 10 to 15% of the operating cost. Now, as uh, these buses hit the road, uh, each of them, as I understand it, uh, contains security cameras, uh, mm-hmm. which are intended to make uh, buses safer, have they? Oh, absolutely. The, uh, if you look over the last uh, year and a half, the number of incidents on our buses have, uh, uh, have gone down dramatically. Um, 
you know, it's not to say every urban system has issues, but, uh, you know, um, uh, if somebody is, um, you know, really tries to do something on a bus, mm-hmm. uh, they're going to be caught almost immediately between the cameras and the transit police that we have. Uh, we have 29 transit police budgeted for our service. Um we're hiring a few of them. A few folks have quit in the last couple of months, uh, so we're going to get back up to 29. Um, the, you know, the transit police are riding the buses and the cameras. It's it's worked out really well. Megan Owens of uh, Transportation Riders United, uh, do you feel safer riding a bus these days? Uh, is this something that uh, uh, people are still telling you is a concern, or have they seen improvement? Most people who actually do ride the bus recognize that it is a generally safe system. Uh, the The reality is you are in a big city, and uh, with uh, almost 100,000 people riding every day, yes, there are going to be some incidents uh, that happen, but uh, the perception is far worse than the reality. So it's people who don't ride who think the buses are somehow horribly dangerous, whereas most people who actually do ride realize that that it's a pretty safe way to go. There's there's a group of people around you. There's a driver that has a direct line uh, to, to to call in help as needed. Um, and again, with these cameras, if something does happen, it doesn't stop the problem immediately, but it that person's going to get caught very quickly. Well, where um, does that perception come from, you think? I think in the past uh, where there were not cameras and there weren't uh, any officers riding the buses, um, you know, it was, you know, you could basically uh, uh, get away with it, but not anymore. Um, you know, in most cases, transit police are responding within minutes um, of any kind of incident that's reported. Uh, and, and so, like I said, the, the, you know, actually a bus is a haven of, of safety. Uh, for the most part. Um, the, um, I will say that there have been challenges in the past with overcrowded buses. When you literally, when there hadn't been enough buses on the road, uh, people still need to get where they need to go. So those people cram onto, uh, onto the buses. And sometimes it's hard for the driver. It's, the driver's first job is to drive safely. Mm-hmm secondarily keeping an eye on what's happening behind him. But uh, when it got so overcrowded, that would both increase stress and tension and and you would have some more incidents of sort of push and shove and people get get upset. Um, We're starting to, while not completely solved, we're starting to see a little bit less of that overcrowding. And as there is more as more buses are on the road, uh, and hopefully we'll continue to see uh, more service available to uh, address that those overcrowded routes, that also helps make it a little bit more of a comfortable, uh, comfortable trip uh, and decrease some of the, the stress uh, among passengers and drivers. Are you hearing uh, that, Dan? Well, quite frankly, we were, um, when the mayor first took office, we were supposed to get uh, 189 buses out in the morning. We were getting about 140. Uh, today, in the mornings, we're getting 192 buses out, actually more than the 189. And in the afternoon, uh, we're supposed to get out 229, and we're getting 229 out in the afternoon. So we are running all of the service that we should. We still have to work on on time performance, and uh, part of that relies on writing good schedules. We've hired a new scheduling manager in the last four months, uh, and he doesn't own a car, quite frankly. He's got a bike, and he rides the bus. And between him and his staff, they're riding uh, a very high percentage of the trips, and we're making sure that the drivers have the right uh, allotted amount of time. 
I mean, anyone that's ridden the bus in Detroit knows there's times when the driver uh, leaves Rosa Parks Rosa Parks Transit mm-hmm. Center and goes like crazy, mm-hmm. uh, and then he gets to a certain point in the route and he slows down very slow, and then he gets to a third point of the route and he goes like crazy again. <laughs> Uh, and that's because those schedules really need uh, work. Uh, by January next year, we're not gonna, they're not going to be perfect because we can't hit everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a significantly high percentage of those routes are going to be much better timed. Uh, and the only way to do it is just ride the bus and get, get the input from the drivers. Uh, and that's really what, uh, what the scheduling staff have been doing. You know, when I was at uh, Rosa Parks Transit Center a couple of weeks ago, I talked with some uh, passengers, uh, obviously not a scientific survey, so, uh, but uh, the, the most common complaint that I heard uh, from passengers was uh, that in some cases uh, they've had uh, uh, maybe verbal confrontations with, uh, mm-hmm. with drivers. Uh, the thing that, uh, the, 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 the phrase they used most often was uh, bad attitude mm-hmm. uh, on, uh, on the part of drivers. And again, not a scientific survey, certainly not uh, uh, encompassing all drivers. But if there is a need to improve the relationship between drivers and passengers, how do you think, uh, how do both of you think that can be achieved? Uh, well, I do think there, there's a couple of pieces. One, again, by addressing some of these underlying problems uh, that, as Dan has referenced, getting enough buses actually operating, uh, adjusting the schedules so that they're a little bit more realistic, you start to address some of the underlying tensions or stresses. If somebody's been waiting at a bus stop for 45 minutes and they're late for work and they're about to lose their job – the driver ends up being sort of the the target of that uh, of that uh, anger, even though they may have not there may not maybe nothing that driver can do about it. So uh, one step is certainly to address the things that that Dan has already referenced, um, and again bring down the overall stress level of everyone involved. Um, I will say that the department's also been working very hard at at, uh, bringing on new drivers uh, and training them very quickly uh, to get them out on the road and operating those buses. Um, And there may need to be some some level of um, retraining or uh, continuing education uh, just about every uh, – or an awful lot of of, uh, jobs require some sort of continuing education and and recognizing how to de-escalate a – stressful situation. Uh, I don't know if that's, that certainly hasn't been high on the uh, priority list, but that might be another area that could help. Megan's absolutely right. Uh, One of the first things you need to do is the retraining. Um, And in the past, DDOT has not had enough drivers. Uh, We do now. And so retraining is going to be part of of, uh, what we are all about. Uh, And the second thing, quite honestly, is to call and complain. I mean, my phone number is 313 833-7667. If you have a rude driver, get us the bus number, the time of day, uh, and what route you're running, and uh, we'll follow up, and we'll bring that driver in. My experience, again, training is great, mm-hmm. uh, but some of the best things you can do is pull the individual driver in and find out what the real issue is. Right. And oftentimes, there's an underlying issue, as Megan was saying. It might be overcrowding. Mm-hmm. It might be uh, an issue with a bus stop um, or whatever. Uh, and so that that so you're trying to not only 
correct the driver's behavior, but but find out what the root cause is. And it's not just, I mean, you know, in, in defense of the drivers, I suppose. I mean, they have to deal with, uh, you know, hundreds of passengers uh, every day on mm-hmm. uh, on various routes. And maybe the passengers uh, are, uh, are rude. And, uh, and, and, and a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of the safety issues that we've heard on buses, it isn't just passengers. It's it's for the benefit of the drivers. They need to be safe. Absolutely. And it's and that is definitely a big challenge is the drivers are being are put in a very difficult situation. I mean, they're driving a giant vehicle on busy, crowded roads um, with we, we all driving on the anyone who's driving on the streets knows sometimes there are other jerks on the road. And then imagine having uh, 20, 40, 60 different backseat drivers uh, telling you how you should have been doing things differently. So it's a very difficult and stressful job for those drivers. Uh, again, as uh, timeliness improves, uh, as safety improves, uh, as the drivers are able to get people where they need to go, ho- uh, hopefully the relationship between passengers and drivers can inc- inc- improve. Because ultimately, it, it's it's a difficult, it's a stressful situation on both ends. The vast majority of people who are riding are using it to get to work, to school, to job training, to get their kids at daycare. I mean, I've got kids in daycare. If I'm, I, they start charging a dollar a minute when you're late to pick up those kids at daycare. Sometimes, some people, if they're late more than two or three times to their job, they're going to lose their job. So the importance of that bus service to people's lives is so critical. Uh, uh, and and I certainly applaud what uh, Dan and his team have been doing to to make it a more reliable system that people can really depend on. And, and Mayor Duggan has made that point a number of times. He's uh, made it clear that Detroiters need a reliable uh, bus service to get them to and from work or school or the doctor's office. And he added that if there's a perception out there uh, that uh, service may be lacking in some way, then it's a challenge that uh, DDOT uh, obviously has to deal with. Um, is on-time service better uh, these days, Dan? Uh, and uh, what's the average wait time for a bus now? Well, absolutely. I mean, we go on on-time performance, and that is uh, buses being on-time uh, to five minutes late is considered on-time. And where we were uh, about a year and a half ago, we were in the 45 50%. We're now uh, approaching uh, 70 and above. And we have a number of lines uh, that were in excess of the national standard of 80%. Um, and we think, again, by, by fine-tuning the uh, schedules, that's going to really increase it. One of the other things we're looking at um, is actually getting rid of transfers and going to day passes uh, because one of the biggest conflicts that driver has is over a transfer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're transferring from one line to another and the time stamp on it says basically you have till 1 o'clock and it's 102, you, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Some drivers will give in, some won't. Uh, and so a number of cities have actually eliminated transfers and gone to really a day pass. You pay twice the regular fare and twice the transfer. So in our case, it would be, uh, let me see, 350, 350 uh, something like that. And you can ride anywhere you want all day. Um, and so we think that will also uh, decrease the amount of time that it takes to get on the bus and make those buses uh, on time. I mean, that's really what our goal is, so that a person knows uh, they can go out and wait for the bus, and it's going to be on time. Is there anything we haven't talked about that we should talk about? I will say, uh, and Dan certainly knows this, one of the things that that uh, Transportation Riders United, my organization, has has called for is 
uh, more transparency of information. Uh, there, Dan does have a lot of great data, uh, and, and we applaud uh, his team for really looking at that data and identifying ways that service can be improved and working to improve that. Uh, it is a public agency, and that information should be publicly available. They are uh, the city is putting uh, some basic performance metrics up there, so you can see those pullouts, uh, that that number of buses that are pulling out each each morning and each afternoon, uh, and it, it's been great to see those numbers increase, uh, uh, improve over the course of recent months. Uh, but having more. Ag- uh, more timely access to public information for riders uh, and for others would be uh, a great additional step. Um, that and ultimately, they are operating on a shoestring. Uh, Dan and his team are doing an incredible job trying to make the very best out of an extremely tight budget, but they are operating on about half uh, of what they had 10 years ago. And they can only do so much. I mean, ultimately, uh, when you've got uh, or over 100,000 people needing to get where they need to go, uh, there will need to be additional funds provided into the system. Uh, we, per the bankruptcy, the at least the funds uh, that the city that DDOT is getting will be stable over the next few years, uh, and that's certainly something we are are pleased to see after seeing it being gutted for so many years. Uh, but ultimately, there's going to be need to be additional funds for additional service to meet the needs of Detroiters. And that that's honestly something that's outside of Dan's control, uh, but it will be critical to really get the system where it needs to be. Final thought, Dan? Yeah, I appreciate that, Megan. I mean, the thing is, we need to be as efficient as possible. And part of that, for an example, is making better schedules. Part of that is treating our drivers uh, with the respect they, they need to have. You know, in many cases, they're finishing their routes and they have very little time to use the restroom. So, we're, we, you know, we, we, we all have to treat them with respect. Um, and in that regard, you know, the state is considering a transportation package of which transit would be funded. Uh, that would enable us over time to be able to do some of that expansion uh, that Megan's talked about and what we would really like to do. Uh, but I think you're going to see improvements uh, as early as next January with what we're hoping to do. Again, just by making that schedule as efficient as we possibly can. If I can add, I, yeah. I do think, Dan, you bring up an excellent point. Both the state legislature here in Michigan and the U.S. Congress are debating transportation funding packages. Uh, historically, a large portion of uh, transportation, of, of funding for bus systems all across our state, uh, has been has come from the state and federal governments that has eroded for the past 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, and so if people are looking for a way that they can help, certainly contacting your legislators, your state legislators and your federal legislators and making sure that funding for public transit is an integral part of uh of both state and federal transportation packages. Uh, so just 10% out of uh, the entire, uh, what's often being called the roads bills, uh, could go a long way towards ensuring that not only DDOT, but SMART and other agencies all across the state have the funds they need to get people where they need to go reliably. Megan Owens of Transportation Riders United. Dan Dirks, director of DDOT, thanks for joining us for this panel discussion, taking a look at transit in Detroit uh, one year after the uh, end of bankruptcy. Thank you, Pat. Thank you.